Amen. Thank you, Brother Mo, for filling in this morning. Brother Hunter is covering for Pastor Willis up in Fresno. You keep Brother Willis in prayer. His dad uh, was diagnosed last week with a very rare and very aggressive form of cancer. He's a, a staff member at Lancaster Baptist Church, and so Brother Willis is there with him and uh, starting treatment today. And so, again, if you would, keep Brother Willis, not Pastor Willis, but Brother Willis in prayer uh, as he's undergoing, I think he's stage three already, and so the only options they said was exploratory options. So keep him in prayer if you would. Uh, so Brother Hunter's up there filling in for him. But let's take our Bible, go to John chapter 1, verse number 11, and then also Hebrews chapter 5. And uh, <clears throat> Hebrews is one of my favorite books to study, um, but it is also one of those books in order to understand you really got to know what's going on. And so we'll take a little bit of time in our service and talk about the book of Hebrews. If you're well aware of what the book of Hebrews is, you're going to be a head start uh, above us, but I'm looking forward to this morning's text. Um, so John chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning before we pray, and then Hebrews chapter 5 is where we're going to get to, uh, and we're going to spend our entire time in Hebrews chapter number 5. But uh, I think we've all been guilty a time or two of missing something that is plainly right in front of our faces. And I don't know if that's you, it's certainly me a time or two. Um, just by way of honest, um, just owning it, how many of you have ever have looked for your glasses while they were in your possession, uh, either on your head. Anybody ever look for your glasses while they're actually on your eyes? Um, okay, so we've all been guilty of that. Um, even, uh, I think it was this last week, I was looking for my keys. We were getting ready to go to, uh, uh, to school in the morning, and I could not find my keys anywhere. And I'm turning the house upside down, looking at all the reasonable places, right? You look on the, you look on the, uh, the key ring, you look in your, your pocket from the, the, the clothes from the day before, and then you start looking in crazy places. I mean, you're sliding the refrigerator out, and you're just you're checking every place you've been. And uh, that happened to us this, uh, about, I think it was this last week. I was looking for my keys, and I'm like, Noah, you need to go in the, you know, the, 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 the bedroom and check the pants, and you're over here. And then I stood up, and I grabbed my keys right out of my pocket. And uh, they were there, but I couldn't see them. And so sometimes we all, as humans, we're prone to those kind of foggy moments. Would you agree with me on that? I think you could say, at least my opinion, there's a direct correlation between how early it is and how much coffee you have or have not had. Those moments tend to happen a little bit more. Um, and the reason those moments are funny, but they're also a little bit frustrating, and the reason for that is they're just so incredibly obvious. Um, you should have seen the glasses, you know, on your head. You should have felt the keys in your hand. You should have, uh, if you were just paying a normal amount of attention to these really flagrant details, you, you would have normally expected yourself to catch them. And sometimes these distractions, and that's a key word for this morning's message, sometimes these distractions, we're busy doing something, we, we can't find our glasses, we're, we're trying to get out the door, and we miss the details in front of us. Some, sometimes these distractions are silly and harmless, but other times I think you'd be aware that sometimes they have catastrophic consequences. Um, more than one time, but maybe not more than three times, I'll try to keep it, I don't want you to think my house is a dangerous place, but more than one time I've come to a stop sign and not realized it was a stop sign for one reason or another. And I'm not talking about being a bad driver. I just mean sometimes you're distracted and you didn't see it. Or um, there was a, uh, and I'm probably going to get in trouble, but uh, I was driving down. It was uh, Gosford and Truxton and I came to a stop and there's something weird about that light. I think you can only turn when it turns green. And so the light had turned green. I was at the front. I wasn't on my phone. I was paying attention. These cars started going. So I started going. The problem was these guys were going too. And uh, I didn't realize, oh, what you doing? And they're honking at me. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I look up and it's a red light. Um, (laughs) Sometimes it's harmless, but sometimes it's dangerous. 
I remember years ago, we, uh, we went to bed, and you, you may have done this too. Again, don't report me to CPS, please. Um, we're lying in bed. I don't have a good sense of smell um, for one reason or another. And we're lying in bed, and my wife says, do you smell that? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And we left the, st- the stove on. And uh, I, if you've ever done that, raise your hand. Report all these people to CPS. Okay, not me, them. And, and, and sometimes maybe even in distraction or hustle to get out the door to get to church or to work, you, maybe you've forgotten to buckle the seatbelt of a, of, a, of a car seat or something of that nature. And sometimes we just get distracted. We live in a world, there's a lot on our mind. Uh, attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. Um, sometimes we're eager and excited to get to the next thing. Uh, sometimes we're just so in the motions of things that we just, we kind of walk through and we skip a step in the process. And uh, one such catastrophic destruction is recorded for us in the book of Hebrews. And we'll get to that book in just a minute. But the entire book of Hebrews is dedicated to this, to this gigantic, massive miss um, of the Hebrew people. Uh, it's a, this book is a powerful, in-depth look uh, at what God was doing to try to help the Jews kind of see the glasses on their head. Uh, essentially. Uh, the, the book of Hebrews is God's way of coming back to the Jews after Jesus has already lived, died, risen, ascended. The church is going forward. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But the book of Hebrews is God's way of coming back and trying to shake them out of their distraction and say, hey, you, you, it, it's, it's right there. You missed it. You missed the Messiah right in front of your face. You were so distracted by so many other things, the temple and Aaron and Moses and the law, that you, you completely missed it. You, you blew right through that red light. And the book of Hebrews is God's way of trying to get them to understand what they missed. Now, in order to understand the book of Hebrews, you have to understand the Hebrew people, who they are and and who they were. Just real briefly, um, the Jews of the Bible are a people descended from the man named Abraham. And you might recognize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, come through the lineage of Jacob specifically. But about 4,300, 4,500 years ago, God called a man out of the Ur of the Chaldees, he called Abram, to start a family that he would miraculously, God would miraculously give him a son. And from that family, the entire world was going to be blessed. This family would become a nation of, listen, and carefully, of chosen people chosen for a very specific responsibility. They, these Jews, these Hebrews, these children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would be what the scripture would conclude, the stewards of God's truth to the entire world. They were the ones that God was going to bless so that the nations of the world could be blessed. They were the ones that God was going to give the Old Testament law and prophets and all the Old Testament scripture. He was going to give them divine revelation and divine promises. He was going to protect them and bless them. Yes, he was going to judge them to get them back on mission. And yes, he would send them into exile. But the entire reason was to get them back on mission that they were chosen for. They were chosen to steward the truth. Remember that roadmap we've been talking about with scripture? They were chosen to steward that. They were given the promises of a Messiah that a Redeemer would come through the house of David, through that lineage, and he would be so obviously the one that the Jews would catch it. They were made custodians of truth, stewards of sacred promises. They were the ones with the roadmap. They were given great leaders that would remind them they were supposed to trust in their God. They were given a royal priesthood uh, as a way of relating back to the God that chose them. They were given a holy temple. I was reading it this week in uh, 1 Kings when Solomon dedicates the temple. He makes this statement after the cloud descends and he, he makes this proclamation that this place is supposed to serve as a witness to the world that there's a God in Israel. They were given the responsibility of knowing the truth to share the truth 
They were given the responsibility and all the promises to know that, hey, someone is coming. The Messiah is coming. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. All those Christmas promises. And then he showed up right in front of their faces. Right in the middle of their cities. Right in the middle of their suffering. And they missed it. John 1, verse 11, look at it. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They didn't catch it. They missed the forest for the trees. They missed the nose on their face. Say it one way or another. They were distracted. They were so caught up in their routine and religion and self-righteousness that they not only missed the fulfillment of every promise they were given to steward... They were so busy arguing over the details and the minutiae of every promise, they missed the very flesh, the very, uh, the very fulfillment in flesh, the incarnation of the one who fulfilled all of their promises. And not only did they miss him, they rejected him. He came to his own and his own received him not. They refused him. They denied him. They crucified him. The Bible tells us that he was that chief cornerstone, the one who all of this was built on. That's what the chief cornerstone does. And the Bible says that the builders rejected it. Get this out of the way. It's in the way of the building. No, it is the building. It's what this whole thing's supposed to be built off. And that's where we get to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is God circling back to the Jews near the close of the first century. Okay? The close of the first century, Christianity is, the church has already been birthed. The flame of the gospel is lit and it is spreading. The Gentiles have received and accepted the Messiah as Lord and as Savior. They are moving. The gospel is going forth all the way to this century, to Bakersfield, California, to you and I today. But here at the end of the first century, God circles back to the Jews through the book of Hebrews and he points out the glasses on their head, essentially. Hey, um, everyone else caught this. And that's the thing, right? If, 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 if you're by yourself, you've got no hope. But if, if, if you're looking for your glasses, your husband's like, hey, babe, they're on your head. And really the book of Hebrews is the author saying, hey, everybody else caught this. You missed it. Everybody else can see, but you can't see. Now, the structure of the book of Hebrews is also significant to this because in each chapter, the author takes one, uh, men, one of many different things and shows the Hebrews how it points to Jesus. He talks about Moses and says, hey, listen, Moses was great. We're glad we had him, Jews. He was an awesome guy, but he was a type of Jesus. He was that great mediator, but Jesus is the final mediator. He's the only mediator between God and man. Hey, listen, the temple was a blessing, and it was supposed to be something, but it was a representation of his body. It was a representation of his presence. The law, yeah, it was great, Hebrews. It was wonderful, but it was a schoolmaster teaching you who Jesus was. And listen, it's great. You had the prophets, and they were respectable men. You you killed them, but they were respectable men. But they prophesied of, of Jesus. And then in chapter number 5, we're going to get to this very specific chapter where he talks about the royal priesthood and the priestly system and the religious system as a way of relating back to God. And he's going to talk about, yes, Aaron was significant and the priesthood of Aaron, which we go back into the, the arguments with Korah and how God established it through Aaron's family. But here in Hebrews, he says, yes, the priesthood is great, but Jesus is a better high priest. He's a high priest who's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He lives and makes intercession for us. He is the final fulfillment. And again, Hebrews is God saying, check your head. 
Check, check your pockets. His, you missed him. It's so incredibly obvious. You couldn't see him, but you had all the promises and you had all the prophecy. Now, before we jump into this book, we have to answer this important question. Why does that matter to us? Because here today, we're not Hebrews. So why does the book of Hebrews matter to us? We haven't missed the Messiah, unless you're here and you're not saved. I'm going to plead with you at the end of the service to accept Christ as your Savior. But for the most part, I would think that most folks here today have not missed the Messiah. You know who Jesus is. So why does the book of Hebrews matter to us? Well, this whole idea of missing the, 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 the glasses on your head. Well, here's why. <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you specifically yet. In one very real way revealed here in Hebrews 5, you and I are very capable of falling into the same ditch. You and I are very capable of, of exercising the same exact distracted human nature. And when we have a responsibility, and by now you should be doing these things and you're not, there's a lot of parallels between what Hebrews 5 says about the Jews and I think what Hebrews 5 says about us. And so with all that in mind, before we pray, let's just dive into this chapter, develop a little bit, and then we'll pray and we'll make an application. Look at verse number 1. Hebrews 5 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained of men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. And we won't take time, but you absolutely can and should go and read the rest of this chapter. But essentially he's going to talk about how Aaron would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people, but Aaron was required to make a sacrifice for his own sins because he was sinful. But Jesus, when he makes a sacrifice, he doesn't have to make a sacrifice for his sin because he's sinless, which makes him a better high priest. And he's telling them, you're missing the, the Messiah right in front of you. You're so caught up about the priesthood, you're missing that Jesus was the final fulfillment of the priesthood. He's a better sacrifice. Now jump down to verse number 9. And again, it says that. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. He says he doesn't have to make sacrifice year over year. In one final sacrifice, he made eternal life for all who will believe him. What a blessing. Verse number 10, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We don't have time to go into all of that, but it's an eternal priesthood established by God. Not the priesthood chosen among men where men would make sacrifice, but a priesthood chosen by God because Jesus is God and he is priest after that eternal order. But now we really get to lean into the text. Verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 are where we're going to really draw our, our truth from this morning. So look at it. Verse number 11, it says, Of whom we have many things to say. So the author here is saying, Hey, listen, I've got a lot of things I want to say about Jesus' priesthood and hard to be uttered. They're deep things. But he says they're hard to be uttered. Why? Seeing ye are dull of hearing. Look up here, church family. We're going to start seeing some parallels with us. Preacher here says, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus and how he is the fulfillment and how you are missing it. But I can't go into all these details because you won't listen. Hmm. Well, well, let's keep going. Verse number 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers. Listen to me. The unarguable reality being stated is that if anyone should have been the stewards of Jesus... It should have been those to whom he was promised. If anybody would have understood the prophecies, if anybody would have been the most capable of soul winners in the first century, it was you Hebrews. You had your promises. You had your priesthood. You had all these symbols and the, te the temple and Moses and Aaron. You had all of these pictures. And at what time you ought to be teachers, notice what he says in verse 12. Ye have need that one teach you again. Again, here's, here's the picture. 
He says, you should have been the stewards of Jesus. You should have been the nation that proclaimed to the world who he was. But now God has to circle back and say, guys, check your pockets. It's him. He was the fulfillment. He says, at what time you should have been teachers, you have need that one teach you again. Keep reading verse 12. Which be the first principles of the oracles of God. He said, I got to go back to ground one. I got to go back to step one. I got to go back to level zero with you all. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter number three when God makes a promise to the, the seed of woman that he would crush the head of the serpent. Let me go all the way back to, uh, to Abraham when God says that he would make a great nation out of him and that when God told him to sacrifice Isaac, God was still going to take care of him because he was sending a Messiah. Go back all the way to David and see how Jesus was and is the fulfillment. And he says, you missed it. You should have been the teacher's. Now we got to send people back to teach you the very basics. Keep reading, verse 12. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. He says, you're the ones that should have been ready for the meat. Think about the apostle Paul and Apollos. Those men who knew the law became the most terrible weapons in the hand of God in evangelizing the world because they knew so much. They knew who Jesus was because they knew the law. They'd studied it their whole lives and committed themselves to it. And the Bible even tells us that as Saul was persecuting the church, there was pricking going on in his heart because he could see the Messiahship of Jesus. And then Christ shows up and he says, I can't help it, it is you. And then he becomes this terrible, dreadful, powerful weapon in evangelizing the world. A Jew who knew the promises. And he says, you should have been ready for strong meat, but now you have need of milk. He says, I've got a bottle feed you. After all these years, after all the prophets, after all the visitations, theophanies of God, after all the texts and training and exile and learning and scriptures, you still need to be bottle fed? And if you pay really close attention, you're going to see how the author reveals why they still needed milk. Look at verse 13. For he that useth, and that's a choice, he that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He said, you refused to choose milk, or to choose meat. Verse number 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of, would you read the next two words? Full age. He says, you're grown. You've lived enough years. You've had enough experience. You're grown in full age. You are a people chosen by God thousands of years ago. A people guided and covered by the Father. Promised the Messiah. You're full age. But you need to be fed like a baby. Lean into this next particular statement. And if you're paying attention, I think you see the application to us. Even though we haven't gotten there. Keep reading in, in uh, verse number 14. Even who by reason of use... This is what you should be doing. This is what you should have done. This is how you should have moved from milk to meat. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now there's a lot in this passage and it speaks to more than just the Jewish population of the first century. There are some strong indictments. There's some obvious distraction going on in the Jewish hearts. But this morning, and here's the reason we're here, there are a lot of obvious and unsettling parallels between these people of God and these people of God. So we're going to take some time and walk through and reread that passage with us in mind and see some of the parallels. Let's pray. Father, I ask God that you'd guide us this morning. I pray, Father, that you would do a work in and through your congregation. I pray, Father, through a
the preaching of your word, that your people would settle in and realize what responsibilities we too should have. God, that you've made so plain to us, and yet we so often fall into the same ditch that the Hebrews did. I pray, God, your blessing upon us. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. The book of Hebrews, I want you to think about it like this. It's a mixture of fervent love and frustration. When you read that entire book, and I challenge you to read the whole thing, you are going to find this fervent, deep love of the author that says, I love you, and I don't want to leave you, and I don't want this to go on without you. I care about you, God speaking through the author here. But you're also going to find these very frustrated indictments. You're a child. You're full grown, but you need to be, you need to be breastfed. You need to be bottle fed. And listen, yes, in the book of Hebrews, you find a God who cares, but you also find a God who expects way more. You shouldn't be there. You find a God who, yes, is giving another chance and he's circling back to them. But at the same time, you're finding that God telling them, you clearly missed it the first time. Yes, I'm giving you a second chance, but you should have gotten it the first time. Yes, you find an indictment in Hebrews, but you also find this invitation to fix their problems. It's the whole reason the book exists, because God isn't done with them. God desires for them to be saved, just like he desires the people in Africa and the people in Bakersfield to receive the gospel. And listen, here you have an entire group of people chosen to steward the mysteries of God, obviously right in front of their face. And God calls them out. And he points out what everyone else can see, that they should have known better. They should have been the ones teaching others. They shouldn't have to be bottle-fed at this age. They should have been the strong ones. And like I said a moment ago, think about how powerful those in the New Testament were who knew the law, who then could expound to the, the, both the Jews and to the Greeks the law. You think about what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, right? Uh, after his resurrection, he, he went and he began to the law and the prophets and expounded to them who he was. He told them, this is what the Bible says. Now, you and I, we've spent, I've spent the last 25 years of my life trying to learn the Old Testament. And as I look back, I'm like, oh, there's Jesus. Oh, I look back, there's Jesus. But these people in the first century grew up every day in the synagogue, learning and studying and memorizing. And they could have and should have been the ones that God used in their deep knowledge to reach the world, to preach the gospel. Now, listen, uh, as verse 12 and four, through 14 tells us, they didn't have any idea how to use what they had been given. The Bible says that they were unskillful in the word of righteousness. Now before, and let's make application. Before we get too frustrated with the Jews at their unforced error, there's an unfortunate amount of parallels between these people and these people. These people were chosen by God to steward a sacred book to the world. You see where I'm going? And these people in the Bible, didn't know how to use it. Jesus shows up right in front of their face, and they, I don't know which verse I should be looking for, and what promise should I, they didn't know how to use it. They were unskillful in the world. And then we come to us this morning, a people chosen by God as well to steward a sacred book. And my fear is that many of us don't know how to use it either. I'm convinced that a rereading of Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, we would find a similar and unfortunate landing spot in many of the hearts of most Christians today. Because seated before me this morning are people called by his name. They were called Christians, chosen to himself, a people for whom he loves, a people given divine and special revelation in their hands, entrusted to be the custodians of something holy and sacred, 
And let me just say to the crowd here this morning, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you should be the ones who know this book. You should be the ones teaching your families. You should be the ones reaching your neighbor. You should be the ones that understand all these promises, that know how to take them to the lost world and evangelize them. For when for a time ye ought to be teachers, but instead ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God, oracles of God. As a pastor so often, far too often, we got to start back at square one. Hey, you know what? We need another soul winning seminar. Let's go back to square one and teach them all over again. We need another message on Bible reading. We need another lesson on how to love your neighbor because we got to go back to square one. When they should be the teachers of this truth, they have need that one teach them again. The very basic principles of Christianity. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Some of you right now are irritated that I'm giving you strong meat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I came for a warm bottle, Pastor. I thought I was going to feel real good today. Don't give me the hard stuff. I want to be cozy. I want to be comfortable. I don't like a church where a pastor tells me that he has to tell me again. And that's bad. Like, yeah, no, tell me all the time. I just want to feel good about myself. At what time you ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again. The very basics of Christianity. And you have need not of milk or not of meat, but of milk. Notice what it says in verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Hey, church, you're full grown. How long have you been saved? Sometimes I'll have people posture that. Well, pastor, I've been saved for 46 years. Okay, great. And yet there's still so many of us that have zero grasp on the scriptures. How old are you in Jesus and you still don't steward his truth? We're the same group of people. Lest we get frustrated with the Jews for an unforced error. You've been saved for 55 years and have never walked someone through the scriptures on how they can be saved. You've need that one teach you again. Such has become these basic oracles of God. We're full grown. We've been in church for 20 years. But we need another soul winning seminar because I don't know enough to, to witness to somebody. We need another message on giving because, well, you know, the cares of this life have crept in and I just don't want to give anymore. Pastor, give me something softer than you're giving me. I want to stop for a moment and let's get right down to the root issue. How is it that the Hebrews full grown still needed milk? How is it the same, same question today across Christianity? How is it that we as God's people chosen to steward the sacred truth of God still need, meek or meet our, or still need milk ourselves? Why didn't the Jews become stewards of what they were given? Why don't Christians become strong, meat-eating, full-grown, truth-teaching people of God that the Scripture expects them to become? Why is that? Is it because perhaps they don't know the Word? That's not what the text submits. Maybe it's because they didn't love God. That's why the Jews missed Jesus. No, that's not what the text supports either. The key verse tells us in verse number 14 exactly why God's people, the Hebrews in this context and in yours and mine, us... Why God's people fail to grow to full maturity, to steward what God expects them to. Found in verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
Let me just say this. Knowledge, this is the whole sermon today. Knowledge without use is useless. You catch? That's not a fortune cookie. That's not a cute statement. Knowledge without use is useless. You and I, listen, we can have Christians who understand every single deep, nuanced mystery and theology and truth that ever could be understood. But if they don't use it, if they don't handle it, if they don't steward it, well, it's useless. You can know all of the soul winning verses and it be useless. You can know, and I would submit that most of our church family does, the Great Commission. You can know the need is real today. You can know that hell is eternal, but do nothing with that knowledge. And that's how full-grown Christians still need meat or still need milk on Sunday. They know everything I'm going to say. They know all the verses before I get there. And yet their expectation on Sunday is that pastor warm a bottle for them and give it to them gently, make sure the temperature is right or they're not coming back because they know everything they need to know, but they're not using it. And church becomes essentially a nursery for adults. Hey, come on in. We'll burp you. We'll give you a bottle. You'll feel real cozy, a good song. All right, go back to mama. I don't mean to be condescending. I'm not being. I'm just using what, Paul, what uh, the, the, almost said Paul. Paul didn't write Hebrews. He might have, but anyway. <laughs> Stop it, Jim. The author, I've been really careful to stay out of that, that argument this morning. I'm not trying to be condescending. The author uses this, this visual. And oftentimes, church becomes an adult nursery instead of a gospel sending station. Because we got people who know a bunch... And they sit in the pew and they're checking and they're, they're making sure that they're learning more, but they're not doing anything with that knowledge. That's why churches don't reach the world. That's why they miss the glasses on their head because they knew everything and their knowledge had puffed them up. But when Jesus came and said, no, 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 I told you, love God, but love your neighbor also. I ain't going to go do that. And I'm convinced that Christianity as a whole, we're not losing the battle because Christians don't know what is right. I'm convinced in Christianity, if we are losing the battle, it's because we're missing the glasses on top of our head because we're distracted and we don't know the difference between knowing and using. We know truth, but we're not doing anything with it. We know that our brother or sister is lost, but we're not doing anything with it. We know the gospel and how to pass them from death to life, but we're not doing anything with it. We can quote scripture and we know the Bible and we know we should be here, but we're not doing anything with it. Look back to verse number 14. There's more to address. Verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them. It should be theirs that are full age. Even those who by reason of use. Okay? They're actually using what they know. And when they use what they know, notice what happens. Having their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is such an obvious truth when we put it in an exercise mindset, which is what he's doing here. He says, when you use what you know, we, we exercise what we know. We're using it. And by using it, we grow stronger in it. We all understand that concept. And so let me bring it to the context. It's talking about, it's not talking about lifting weights, but we'll use that illustration in a second. What he's saying is it's not a lack of knowledge keeping you from being the teacher you ought to be. Because the Jews already knew. They knew more about the Old Testament than you and I will probably ever learn in our whole life. They knew... 
but it was a lack of exercising it. So let's just bring this into the context that the author uses here. The thing about actually starting the process of exercising is it's awkward, right? But the more you do it, the better you get at it. But we don't exercise sometimes because we don't want to look silly, you know. We, you know, you got, you got like the meathead over in the corner, you know, and he's bench pressing a refrigerator. You're over there like trying to, where's the 10-pound weights? And you kind of feel silly, so you're not going to, you know what you should be doing, and you know maybe how to do it, but you're going to look foolish doing it. But here's the thing. When you get in the gym, or when you start lifting, or you start running, or doing any of those things, eventually you learn. But you can have all the head knowledge, and well, you know, the proper way is, you know, there should be an egg on your chest, and you don't crack the egg. and You can know everything there is, and never go to the gym, and all your knowledge is useless. But if you'll go, and you'll start doing, and you'll start being awkward, and man, a little bit embarrassing, I didn't really do that right. But as you go, and as you have your senses exercised, you get stronger. And you discern, and you grow, and you move out of that awkward stage, and then all of a sudden, you become this usable person. That's the picture that the author is painting here in the book of Hebrews. I can use an illustration for you, right? Uh, trying to use knowledge is different than trying to gain knowledge. We, we intrinsically understand that. Trying to gain knowledge and then using it is very different. I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. Um, 203 days ago, I started trying to learn Spanish so we could talk to the congregants back there in, in Spanish. And uh, it's, it's been difficult. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not super young or mentally acute in a lot of areas, but I've been trying, and I've been learning, and I've been learning, and I've been learning. But you know what really made the difference? When I started using. You see the difference? I can learn, and I can press buttons, and I can say, well, I can memorize words, but when I start using it, then it starts to make sense. Then my senses are exercised and I grow. Now, there, there have been some growing pains. Um, a while back, this wasn't recently, but when I was in high school, I was trying to learn Spanish through high school as well. And I remember I knocked on the bus. I was trying to soul win. I, I knocked on the door for the bus, and I told the lady, I said, you know, um, uh, Iglesia Bautista, uh, un autobus para de niños, uh, con cerveza on el autobus. Those of you not laughing have no idea what I said. I just told that mom we have beer on the bus. And she looked at me and I was like, dulce, no cerveza, dulce, right? Recently, and this was tragic as well, I was, I was trying to use what I had learned and I was talking with Brother Sammy and Miss Allie and I said, mi mujer, Allie, which means my woman, Allie. I meant to say mi hermana, Allie. But here's what happens. Eventually, after using what I know, you get a little bit better. And it's less awkward. It's less silly. And then you become usable. And this is what's happening in Hebrews chapter number 5. Who by reason of use, meat belongs to those that are full age. And when they use what they know, they begin to grow. And when they begin to grow, they become stronger. But unless you use what you know, it's useless. Listen, this is a process you should embrace. What do you mean? Using what you know. I would submit the vast majority of you out there know enough to knock on a door and try to witness to somebody. But you're scared to do it. Not because you don't know, but you're afraid to make a mistake. You're afraid to say something awkward. You're afraid it might be a little bit silly. And I'm just saying, you're probably right. You probably will say something foolish. You probably will make a mistake. But you will never grow from knowing to using unless you actually start using. Some of you dads out there, you're, you're experiencing the same exact thing, right? You want to start leading your family, but you're afraid if you start doing it. Well, it's going to be a little awkward at first. Like, okay, guys, let's pray together. And everybody goes like, what? I'm submitting to you. Just start using what you know. 
You're going to look a little silly. You may make a mistake. But just like any exercise, you'll start to grow. You'll start to get it. You'll start to become stronger. You'll start to know what the needs of your children are. Just by the simple process of doing There's a difference between knowing and doing. That's really the heartbeat of this morning's message. You're here today. You've been saved for a long time. You know you should teach. You know enough to teach, but you're afraid to start doing it because you're afraid you're going to look silly. I'm telling you, you are going to look silly. It's just going to happen. But if you'll use it and you'll grow and you'll move forward and you'll kind of fumble forward, eventually you'll get stronger by reason of use. You'll have your senses exercised and you'll be stronger. Listen, we are all faced with the same exact choice that the Hebrews were faced with through the writing of the book of Hebrews. We can listen to what the Holy Spirit of God is indicting for us today, and we have to own that, yeah, man, we missed it. We should have been doing that. I've been saved for 30 years, and I don't do anything with it. I've been coming to church, and I'm still not doing this. I'm still not giving. I'm still not participating in outreach. I'm still not living my Christianity. And and we're faced with the same reality the Hebrews were. God's circling back to us after being saved for so long, saying, hey, everybody else sees it. I know you see it. And we're faced with the same decision in verse 11. Look back. Whom we have many things to say. And I could talk all morning today. And hard to be uttered. Seeing you're dull of hearing. And you have two choices this morning. Just like the Hebrews did. And I'm not submitting that you're dull of hearing. I'm submitting that if you refuse to do what you know. It is probably because of your hard hearing. You know what scripture says. The Holy Spirit's convicting you because you've been saved long enough to know better. Or you've been saved just long enough, you're starting to know better, and you're faced with a decision. Should I go with them? Should I try it? Should I do this? Should I take the step and start giving? Should I take the step and start serving? Should I? You know better. You know enough to act on what you know. But knowledge without use is useless. And so my prayer this morning is that, one, you don't need me to warm up a cozy bottle and make you comfortable this morning because you've been saved long enough, you know. Full meat belongs to those that are full age. The one who's been saved a long time, my hope is that you will not be dull of hearing. That you'll shake yourself out of your infancy. That you'll realize that God expects more of you. You should have known this. You did know this. For the one perhaps in this room who has lots and lots of knowledge. And listen... The Bible talks about that. That's a gift. To some is given the gift of knowledge. And man, you know a ton and you got a giant brain. You could be a terrible weapon in the hand of God with all the knowledge and, and information that you have. Some of the best soul winners I know are men who have gigantic brains. And I don't know, some of you, the, the, the smart person out there just said, Pastor, the size of your brain has nothing to do with your acumen. Fine. <laughs> but the rest of us who don't have giant brains don't know that. Okay? If you will use what God has given you, And take knowledge into action. (laughs) You're the person God wants to send like Apollos. Or like Paul. For the one perhaps who is justifying their disobedience. And I find a lot of us will land in this category. You're justifying disobedience because you're afraid you don't know enough. I'm submitting to you that that's not the issue. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised. And listen, we, we have been given the responsibility. And this is how this ties into the whole scripture thing, right? The church's responsibility is to steward the word of God, be the pillar and ground of the truth. Just like the Jews, you and I have been entrusted with the sacred text of scripture. And my prayer is that through the preaching of God's word, you and I will choose to do and live out and use and exercise and try and stretch and grow and discern what's right and wrong by simply beginning to use what we already know. And that we would master the use of this book 
so that we could move to the next step, which, Lord willing, we start next week, the evangelization of the lost. Because, again, Hebrews 13, or Romans 13, we've talked about it. How are they going to hear? How are they going to believe on him whom they've not heard? How are they going to believe that a preacher? If we don't care, it goes all the way back to that. It starts with our desire. But then we know things, and we're not doing things with them. And I think every single one of us, regardless of, of your status in Christianity, regardless of what you're doing or not doing, every single one of us are going to fall into this text where we know more than we're doing. But we're scared to do it because we don't want to look silly. We don't want to be awkward. But we know it's our job. Good. Start doing. Let's pray.